Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. So welcome back to Accelerating Careers in Real Estate. My name's Nick Carman, and this evening I'm joined by Matt Walker, CEO of Student Housing Portfolio on behalf of the Singaporean Global Asset Manager at Mapletree. Now, Matt, originally from Oklahoma, has risen to the ranks of residential operations in the States, South America, and the UK, and we catch him as he's just settling in in his most recent role in employer. So, Matt, thank you very much for uh, joining us. Yes, thank you for having me. Great to be here. So, let's get it started. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Where does Chapter 1 begin? I guess I should start with, uh, you know, where I grew up, where I'm from, because, you know, I think it's important to note that I, I don't come from uh, a family or a place that has a background in any any sort of real estate exposure. Uh, I don't even have a, a family member that's a real estate agent, uh, which I think a lot of, a lot of people do. Um, I grew up on a, on a cattle ranch in rural Oklahoma, a really quiet, laid back place, hardworking people. But really, nobody that really rose into the corporate ranks uh, anywhere in my background. Lots of teachers and farmers and local independent uh, business owners, but but not really corporate uh, corporate sort of real estate exposure. So I went off to school at the University of Oklahoma uh, to originally pursue meteorology as a career. Quickly changed. I decided I didn't want to be in the hard sciences, but then sort of shifted into the the mindset of you know I'm going to go be a lawyer. I was interested in politics. Uh, let's do that instead. So I finished my degree in political science, still trying to pursue that uh, that that avenue. I think all of that's good context to to mention to your listeners because uh, I didn't set out uh, with a passion for real estate. Didn't sort of set out to be in that business. I really lucked into it, uh, and it's and it's something I think that I hear from a lot of people who have been my colleagues along the way in in the business. Um, and I know that, that quite a few people experience it in, in the same way. That's something that I think over the years has at times caused me to consider whether I was in the right trajectory over my career, because some people do have this passion for the business that they're in. You see people that go into careers that they wanted to do you know, since they were 10 years old or even before, and that was never the case for me. Uh, but I don't think that that is something that holds people back in their careers if they acknowledge that that isn't everybody's experience and, and it doesn't have to be. So tell us about how those, those early days then of, of this career began. Yeah, so as I mentioned, that was at the University of Oklahoma, um, finishing up my, my undergrad degree in political science with the intention of, of going into either politics or, or law school. And I lived at this, this property, this, this student housing community that was off campus, privately owned, uh, I knew nothing about student housing or, or the real estate world at that time, and I had a friend that worked at the building, and this friend said, "Hey, we've got a we've got a part time position that's available. Um, you know, it helps pay for your rent. You can literally roll out of bed and come down to work." Um, and and I thought, well, that's that's great. I need a job. I, I didn't come from from a family with great wealth, and so I did have to work through university. And uh, I said, okay, I'll apply to that. That sounds fun. Plus, I get to work with my friends. And uh, I applied for the job, and I got the job. And that was as a community assistant at the time for a group called EDR, uh, which is now known as Graystar Student Living. It was at the time a publicly listed company on the New York Stock Exchange. And it immediately allowed me to start getting exposure to this new industry that I didn't know existed up to that point. 
But I must say, initially, and even in the first couple of years, I didn't see it as my career. I didn't see myself suddenly shifting and, and dismissing the idea of being in, in politics or, or, or being in law. I just thought it was going to be a college gig, you know, something to, to, to earn some money and, and help me keep the lights on. That was also interesting for me. Now, I got to mention, too, that this was in, this was in uh, 2007, 2008. So when I graduated and came out into the, the labor force proper, it was, two, it was 2008. Things were not going well in 2008. And it wasn't a great time to graduate from university if you wanted uh, a high-paying job straight out, of, straight out of college. By that point, I had already progressed a bit uh, just through hard work and, and, and what had come available at the, at the property to a full-time position. It was a sales position. It wasn't even the most senior position at this given property. It was a, it was a, a sales manager role, essentially, um, which I'd done the last semester of school and it was a full-time job with benefits. And so at that moment that I graduated, I decided, you know, this is a good job, right? Not necessarily a career, but this is a good job to have when a lot of people are losing theirs. And so I took the, I think, quite rational decision that I'm going to keep doing this job for now while I figure out what's next for myself. If I had continued down the path that I had internally mapped out for myself and going to law school, very often people take what's called the LSAT in the U.S. to, to get into law school and kind of go straight into law school out of undergrad. And I didn't see that being what I wanted to do at that time. I'd been, a, I'd been an academically focused student trying very hard to achieve throughout my entire upbringing since I was four or five years old and I was a little tired of, of school. So I wanted to, I wanted to take a little break and, and just work for a while. So that's what I chose to do. So I kept doing that job at that property and it didn't take long, less than a year, for the company to come along and say, look, uh, we like what you're doing, but we have this job opening up in Kansas and we'd like you to go up and, 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 uh, and move there and take this job for us. And that was as the, the, the property manager for that property. And it was over 700 beds. It was extremely intimidating for me moving away from the, the idea of moving away from my home state, so far from my family, into a job I hadn't had and didn't feel like I was trained to do, and being in charge of a staff of, I believe, something like 15 people, and the entire assets, full operational performance being my responsibility. And I remember my... How old are you? How old was I? 22, I think. It's a lot of responsibility, isn't it? Absolutely, it was. And I, I remember... The person that was my regional manager at the time, um, putting it in this context for me, you know, this is a $15 million asset, which in today's terms sounds quite tiny, but uh, it's a $15 million asset and you're responsible for it. And let that sink in. And it did sink in, you know, and I think I've used that perspective with a lot of my team members over the course of time looking back because I think it landed really well with me. You want your managers out in the field and operational real estate to truly think of the business as their responsibility. Be the mini CEO of this business um, and treat it as if it was your money. The best managers do that really well. And that really landed with me. Uh, that advice and, and how to see the role was super important. I think actually helped contextualize a possible career path for me at that moment. So I took... Uh, I took 
I took the leap and I, and I took that job. I, I had a desire to leave Oklahoma, like many people that come from rural places that aren't on the coast in the U.S. Often you, you want to move away to something bigger and better. It's not uncommon in the U.K. You know, a lot of people strive to move to London, move to the big city. But Kansas was not on my list of places I wanted to move. Um, and that was, I think, the hardest thing for me to, to emotionally get past is, is, and psychologically consider for myself is like, is this really what I wanted in my career, to move to the next state over that's equally rural? And it wasn't, but I understood the, the career opportunity that it presented for me, and I knew that it wasn't forever. And I think that that's something that, as we talk, is going to be a consistent theme that a willingness to uproot and move is something that I've always embraced, even if it wasn't a place that I always wanted to be. Um, I've appreciated that the, the long-term implications to my career made it worthwhile. Well, Matt, there's, there's, I've got loads of questions about, about this role, but we're only a couple of years into your career. So <laughs> let's, let's stick with that theme then of being uncomfortable. You know, when's, when's the next big milestone then in, in, in this career? I moved around a couple of times um, and, and in that role, doing things at the site level, working on site and running properties. And I, I must probably stop and, and mention uh, when I lived in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, it exposed me to a different type of real estate, gave me exposure to working with the university, which I think has helped my career. And I think that that stopping point was important because I also got a master's degree in business and MBA while I was working in that city. I happened to have an office that was right across the street from the business school, and I took that as an opportunity to, to, to get that further education. So suddenly, no, law school is definitely not, not in the mix anymore. I'm, I'm pursuing a, a career in business, and I understood that I didn't really have an educational training in business. I had it in political science, a, a soft science, a social science, and I, I thought that while I was learning lots of good skills in my day job, and I was, I didn't have educational background in that business, and I wanted to supplement what I was learning with the formal education. As I was finishing that degree, I worked now at ADR for nearly eight years. I had been out in the field running properties as a property manager for the bulk of that time uh, in multiple states, multiple types of real estate and student housing, and I felt I, I was ready for the next step which for me at that moment was a regional manager, a multi-site, multi-site type role, a head office role, a corporate role. And I absolutely adored working for EDR. It had a great culture, a great atmosphere. They still have that now that it's Graystar. And I didn't want to leave. I really didn't want to leave. But it is the sort of organization, I would say, that you, you, know, you have people that work there for 30 years, their entire careers, which speaks to its culture. But it also speaks to really needing to put in the years in a role before you rise. And I, I had more ambition than that for myself. I wanted a faster pace in the trajectory of my career. And I knew that I probably wasn't going to get that at EDR. Um, as much as I didn't want to leave, I knew that that was something that I needed to grapple with and I had to come to terms with and make happen for myself. So I very deliberately over the last six months of earning my MBA, started looking for other places to land. What was next for me was going to be at a new company. And so I looked for companies that were aligned with what I was looking for. Um, fast growth, ambitious, quick moving, had a, a well-articulated growth plan, and then had a need for somebody like me with my skill sets to come in and, and, and be a part of that organization. Uh, and I explored a number of opportunities. 
but I ultimately took a job with CA Ventures and moved from Dallas-Fort Worth area to Seattle, Washington to open up the, the West Coast for them initially. So that, that encompassed mobilizing a couple of properties in Seattle out of development, but also being the regional manager for their West Coast portfolio. And so I went from a company that had, at the time, I think, 60, 70,000 student beds across the entire country and a 60-year-old history and track record of student housing to a company that at the time was operating maybe two or three assets. They'd been a prolific developer um, and had recently transacted and sold the majority of their company and their operations to a very large uh, student housing company. So they were starting over from scratch. They had almost nothing, but they had a really strong pipeline. They were developing 10 assets at the time that were delivering that year, all students across the country, and had really big plans for further growth. So that attracted me. And they had, had a desperate need for people that knew what they were doing out in the field because they'd lost their entire operating platform through that disposition that they'd recently uh, completed. So it seemed like a really good match. And I took the leap and, and moved out to Seattle. And that really is, is sort of brings you to chapter two, I suppose, for me in that uh, I left behind EDR and that comfort blanket of a really strong operational company into the wild, wild west of, of, of a company that was new and growing. So just to help me out, Matt. So you, you explained the reason there, why the vacancy, right? You explained as to why that organization put you front, uh, in front of anyone else in terms of bringing you in. I get that. But why did it appeal to you? Why leave behind mm. then the safety or the security or the scale that you had? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, and I, I, looking back, it wasn't an easy decision to make. I struggled with it quite a lot. And, and it took me several months to come to terms with the fact that I should actively go look for another opportunity at that time. But I think that I looked at, I looked at EDR and I, and I looked at the people that I worked with, which I, you know, who I, I really adored and, and appreciated what they brought to the table. But I knew that I needed to keep doing that role at that property or somewhere else in the country for many more years likely. And then the next ladder up would be eight, 10 years plus maybe. And I could see that in my peers. I could see that that was the course of history in that organization, that if you wanted to work at a place for 20 years, you might have two or three promotions along the way. You'd get somewhere eventually, but it really is this slow, steady progression. And I could see that for myself. I really truly believed that that's what I would achieve at that company had I stayed, but it didn't match up with the sort of cadence and pace at which I wanted to, to grow. Uh, I felt like I knew what I needed to know on site working at a property to be successful. I'd proved it at several places. And I had this, this itch of impatience, uh, which I think is not, it's not uncommon. I hear it in my teams and I've heard it with my peers and, and colleagues and friends throughout my entire career, that you get this itch and you feel like you, you've been there, done that, seen that, ready for the next big thing. And I, I, I thought that I was going to be held back at the, at the organization that I was at if I stayed there. And I felt that I'd become unhappy over time unless I was put into a situation where I could grow apace and uh, be a part of something a bit more dynamic than where I'd been up to that point. And I think that that's the, the, the proper framework to think of to think through about where I was coming from and making that leap 
it still wasn't easy to do. Uh, and I have to say, I was still very surprised, even though I was psychologically prepared for the change in pace and culture, I was still very surprised and, and a bit shocked at how different it actually was when I went and made the change. Well, then let's get into it. Let's get into it. Tell us a little bit more about you know, what's, uh, what's happening and, and maybe particularly what you're learning at these stages. Yeah, so I, I, I mentioned earlier that I've just finished my MBA. Of course, when you get an education like that, you, you learn about organizational behavior and how, how organizations are structured and, and what the people are like. And so I had this, this contextual understanding that I was joining an organization that was going to be more flexible, less process-oriented, more fast-moving. Those are traits that go along with each other, but understanding that on paper <laughs> is different than than understanding it in reality and living and breathing it in your day-to-day life, work life. So that was quite a shock. Uh, it was very different. Uh, it was very, very fast-paced. And, and I think that student housing operational management is a very fast-paced business in any organization. But CA's pace was like something I've not seen uh, before and haven't seen since. And I think even comparing to other peers, uh, generally is quite a dynamic, fast-moving fast company um, at every level. Right? The, the appetite for growth of the company was at an extreme level. The, the development pace and how many assets they were willing to develop in a year was an extreme level. What geographies to move into was, it was a risk-taking organization for sure. And I was put into that, uh, into that ecosystem having come from a very different kind of uh, environment that was publicly traded, so very compliance-oriented, very long history established. So it was quite a shock. It took me probably six months to sort of get my footing, I'd say, at that organization and, and, and figure out how to apply what I knew coming from that stable, process-driven type, type company to, to this organization that needed that, that assistance and that, that support. But I did make my way and was quickly rewarded along the way. The portfolio grew for, for me quickly as the, the management understood what my skill sets were and that I could bring them to bear against what they needed. But, but it, was, it was quite a shock. And I think that any, anybody in such a position, when you go to move organizations and, and, and different types of companies, really needs to go into that eyes wide open that it's going to be different. And even how you think it's going to be different is going to be different, <laughs> right? You're going to be wrong because you can't see inside of it. So go on, tell us how, how you deal with this. <sighs> Lean on your experience, I think. And I, I think that that's, a, that's a, a piece of advice I've given to people over the years. That One of the reasons why I think it's really important to stay in a job for a while and, and learn in that role until you, you really have absorbed through several cycles, whatever the business you're in, it certainly probably has cycles, whether they're annual, quarterly, multi-year, there's going to be cycles. If you don't see a few of those through in a job, I don't think you do yourself any favors in the next step in your career because you've missed out on some piece of that pie of that, that cycle. And I've seen so many in EDR over the course of time, I could apply those learnings to this new business and help the broader business learned from me too. And I, I think that I did a, a good job in that. I was uh, also surrounded by other people coming into the business from a variety of different companies and backgrounds, but all had different tidbits of learnings and experience that they brought to bear as we formulated a new team. It is one of the 
biggest challenges that I've had as a professional, and I think that my peers from that time would say the same, in that we were drawing from half a dozen different organizations or more and bundling together a leadership team in that business from different perspectives and backgrounds and points of view. Uh, there was no institutional knowledge to draw on, and we had to make it work because the expectations of that organization were very high, and we had to figure it out. And we shared tons of learnings and knowledge from our own histories uh, in order to craft this new, this new operational platform to make it work. And I think that that's really important in that it wasn't just my, my background and my experience. It was a team's um, you know, mutual aggregate set of understanding and shared learnings over their, their careers, whether they were short or long, that made us all successful in those years. So Matt, it must be going well, right? You know, you're Chicago HQ, you're part of the leadership team, but what happens after? Yeah, yeah. So I was in that role. I was vice president of operations. And I, I thought at the time that I was probably, you know, I, I was really there. I was at the pinnacle um, and had achieved what I really sought out to do in, in joining CA. But I was asked to actually go down to, to consult on some issues that the company was having, having in South America. Uh, with a student platform that they were developing there. And happily did that. I thought it was a two-week trip. Come, come back and write up some findings and go back to the day job. Um, of course, that's not what happened. I was actually asked to, to go down and take over the management platform there. And I jumped at the opportunity. And I know the natural question is why. You know, we had, I think at the time, 15, 20,000 beds under, under my purview in the U.S. It was a country, countrywide role corporate office, um, why leave for something that was much smaller in scope? I have to admit, it was it was something like four assets, many fewer beds, much smaller scope of work. But I, I also wasn't finished. Did you speak Spanish? I didn't. I knew a little bit, but not not a ton. To this day I wouldn't say that I'm I'm you know perfectly fluent, but I do know a lot more now than I than I did then, that's for sure. Um, it was a scary leap, but I did it because I knew I was surrounded by uh, great people in the Chicago office, and the pace of acceleration of my career was going to slow down from that point, given that my boss was at Rockstar, his boss was a star. We were going to settle in for the long haul, I think, at that point, and I knew that there would be a ton of growth in the breadth of the role, <clears throat> but vertically it was likely to be a while before there was further upward mobility for me. And so I decided that moving outside the U.S. was something that had always interested me, but I'd never had an opportunity put in front of me where it made sense. And here was one. And I also knew that CA was growing into Europe and understood that the proposition put in front of me was go down to South America, spend a couple of years, maybe three, uh, and stabilize this platform um, because that's when we'll be ready in Europe to do the same and we could use you there too. So there was this natural path for me. Nothing, like most companies, was promised. Nothing was in writing. This was just the plan. So I took the opportunity and I took the leap and I went and did it. And I'm very glad that I did. Um, the detour to South America, so to speak, was one of the best things that I think I've ever done for my career because from a student housing perspective, 
Europe and the U.S. are quite different. There's lots of uh, similarities sort of at the bedrock level in the way that these, these types of real estate work. But there are lots of differences. And I think I can say this as an American, but Americans often a- a- approach things outside of the borders of the U.S. with a bit of arrogance about how things work in the broader world. And I really think I would Your have... words, not mine. <laughs> I know. That's why I said I can, I can say it because, I, <laughs> because of uh, my Americanness. But, um, you know, we do. And I would have gotten quite a few things wrong going from Chicago to London and trying to set up a platform in London um, straight away like that. And I think that there are plenty of companies that have gotten it wrong doing that. And there are some that are probably going to get it wrong coming from Europe to the U.S., which is starting to be a trend in student housing too. Uh, but my, my stop along the way in South America was really great for contextualizing how difficult and how different things can be country to country, how important the cultural nuances are when you're considering these types of operational real estate and really creating a, a sort of humbleness in how you approach these things. Because I think that in these more mature markets, you take for granted that people understand what your product are, what your product is, how you sell it. You're really just selling against your competitors. Whereas ultimately in these less developed markets, you have to learn how to articulate selling the what the product is, the entire value proposition for why people should even want it. Um, so it, it really forced me to recalibrate how I think about the entire business, which I think quite helped me when I did move on to London and uh, began work on setting up the platform for CA in Europe. Um, helped me be open-minded about doing things the UK way, but also trying to nudge them. And if I thought that the US perspective on things was more efficient, more dynamic, to maybe nudge them in, in, a, in a different direction on certain aspects, but to to welcome and embrace the local the local uh, differences when they were really important to, to driving performance. So I've spent the last three and a half to four years working on building that platform. And we've really had, uh, and when I say we, I mean the team that worked with and around me because it was a team effort, always is, in building that platform up from nothing, from no physical assets, no team, no operating platform, no processes, no nothing, to uh, when I left recently, uh, having around 8,000 beds under management in three countries with awards having been won and a lot more that that group is shortlisted for to to win across the the industry in this year and upcoming years and really becoming well-known to be a rock-solid, you know, best-in-class operating platform. Uh, And I'm very proud to, to have helped build that over the last few years at that group. And that, that kind of leads us to, to, to the here and now. Before we get into the here, here and now, you, I mean, you've t- you teed up this question, Matt. You didn't, it didn't need uh, much help from me. But at, at key milestones, okay, you've, you've chosen the difficult path at a junction. You know, you've stepped away from the safety and security or the scale, you know, whereby you can see a career path. It just might take a bit longer. But you've taken the less traveled path. And in many ways, sort of you've you've bet on yourself that you can achieve the same aims but faster. Why? What gives you that confidence? Good question. Really good question. Um, it's a really hard one to articulate, but I think ultimately I've always understood, and this has become easier to believe 
you know, in my heart of hearts mm -hmm. as my careers progress. But I think even at a, at a junior early level, I've always understood that if things go wrong, what I have learned up to that point will serve me well in another role. If things totally spectacularly blow up, right? When I chose to leave Oklahoma, I knew I could go back to my family and have a, a good a good life there if I needed to. <laughs> I could go to law school ultimately if I needed to. When I chose to leave EDR and go to CA, I knew that I could go back to EDR and work on site if I needed to because I had built relationships and trust there. Um, so I think it's worth pausing maybe and saying, it's really important whatever you do as a professional, leave an organization the right way. I think that's super important. Don't burn bridges. Don't get emotional. Be respectful for the people and the company that you've worked for, even if you're leaving that company. That's a mantra I've always held and, and, and have been steadfast about. When I left Chicago and went to South America initially, I did accept and talked openly with my family and with myself about the fact that this probably means the end of my career with domestic USA operations for CA Ventures because I knew that they would not wait for me. They would fill the role, they'd move on, the company would move on, but I knew that I could come back to the US and get a job in student housing in a headquarters somewhere because my skill set would be valued. And each step along the way, I've tried to ground myself in, you're taking a risk, but the worst thing that could happen is that it doesn't work out and you need to go back a step or two in your career and do something that clearly you're experienced and, and well set to do, and there will be companies that will hire you to do that job. And I think that as long as I've kept myself grounded in that way, that the, the sky will not fall if this doesn't work out, right? There's always a backup plan. You don't know what it is, but there's an industry that needs your skills that you can go back to. And I think that's always given me comfort to take that next step and do the next thing because what's the worst that could happen, right? Uh, even today, what's the worst that could happen? Um, I need to move back to the US and, and, and find a place that, to, to take me on. I, somebody would, you know, right? It might be at a, a more junior level than I'm at right now, but that's okay. And that's balanced risk taking, I think. And that's, that's how I approach how I execute in my job, but also how I, you know, quote unquote, execute my career path. And I think that 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 perspective is something that that's, has served me well up to now. Well, then let's let's drill in a little bit more about that career path. So, you know, we like to do a bit of research on the pod, right? So I spoke to a few people who know you quite well. And I asked, I asked one of those guys, you know, what they consider to be some of your strengths. Do you know what they might say, a curiosity? Mm. Uh, tenacity, maybe. Um... That's pretty close. It's pretty close. Okay, so what he really shone at was his relentless drive and strategic thinking, all the while remaining calm. This was better than anyone I have observed. Wow. That's no, nice to hear, right? Yeah, it's very nice, nice to hear. hear. Absolutely, yeah. You've touched on, on, on how to remain calm, but I wanted, to, I wanted to, to drill into that strategic thinking. Because you, you you sound like you sound like a man with a plan, Matt, and that's not always easy. You know? Not always easy to see through the fog or to see through the challenges. So, how is it you're better at this than most? I I think it's worth saying. I I, I don't want to oversell the idea that there's been this master plan because there hasn't been a master plan, right? 
if I look back in time and I think to every juncture of where I've made these decisions, I, at that moment, had this vague gray cloud of what the future would ultimately look like. All I could see, right, was the, the path immediately in front of me. I think that there is a, not quite exactly sure how to articulate this. I think that it's important to say that it's okay for there to be that ambiguity beyond just this next step and to be comfortable that with the fact that things will either not go well or they'll fall into place, something will happen. And I think that that actually maybe is what that, that person that you quoted there is seeing in that whether things are going well or not, whether they're difficult or hard, you will get through it somehow. And that, that applies in the day-to-day aspects of the work that you're doing or your team's work or your career path. And I think that that may be what, what's come through in, in, in that comment and also how I've approached this in it's not a master plan. It's an acceptance of the fact that there doesn't have to be fun. And if you put the work in, you work hard and you excel at what you're doing and you take the opportunities that are presented when they're presented and you grab that in the moment, that will lead you down a path. Uh, and as long as you couple that with rational decision making about where you want to go in your career, I think that it will lead you down a good path. But I don't want to oversell the idea that there's been some big grandmaster plan of mine. And if any point in the future, in the past, had you asked me, would you live in South America? I would have dismissed that out of hand. I would have thought you were crazy. Even if you said, would you, will you live in London? You know, myself 10 years ago, wouldn't have been able to imagine that. Um, the path looks very prescriptive if you look back in time, and it may sound that way as I, as I describe it, but it really wasn't in the moment. It was about capturing opportunities when they come up, putting yourself, yourself in a strategic position to have them and ensure that you're executing in the role you're in so that they come your way. But when they come your way, take the ones that make sense to you in the moment, and you'll have this, this dogleg path over the course of time, or maybe even circular in a way, that leads you where you, you want to be. Okay. Let me put my research to one side. I'm going to come back to another one of those in a little bit. We've teased the audience with you're sat in a new, uh, a new seat at the moment and we're bang up to it today. So let's, let's tell them a little bit more about sort of what's, what's the gig now about. Yeah, I've recently joined Maple Tree, which is Singaporean based, as you, as you mentioned, uh, as CEO of their, uh, their student housing business in the UK. Uh, and even more recent news is that that's going to expand to be CEO of their student housing business in general, which includes a, a substantial exposure in the United States and hopefully in the future other countries and continents even as well. So uh, that's, that's, the new, that's the new gig. Being Singapore-based, where there is a very big focus on, on being a financial hub and center, it's a well-funded organization and has a really massive real estate footprint globally, um, student housing being a very small part of their portfolio, uh, but huge exposure across Asia and the Americas and Europe and Australia. Uh, so so it's, a, you know, it's definitely a shift change from, from where I've been um, the last 10 years, as I've mentioned, was with CA Ventures, which is uh, itself, you know, grown to be substantially sized, but it operates more like a more like a small developer, really, in in how it approaches its business, I'd say, and helped me 
jet fuel my career, as we've talked about, but maple tree is a, is a different animal, right? It's, um, it's big business. Okay. Merlin, let me open my book up again here about sort of, um, what we've been able to drag out of sort of this skeleton as a cut of the, the closet map. Okay. <laughs> so back on, back on to some of your strengths. And they they mentioned two out of interest, but there's only one I'm going to ask you to talk about. So the f- first thing was apparently you, gr- you grow the best tomatoes and cucumbers. <laughs> so if anyone's interested, they can they can get in touch with you directly about this. I need to start a side game, don't I? <laughs> yes. Maybe maybe this is the grand plan, right? <laughs> um, uh, but this is the this is what they they said, and this is what I want to really di- dial into to, for the guys listening. Matt's extremely driven and focused and has an incredible ability to get through tasks very quickly. He is the antithesis of a procrastinator. Procrastination is is definitely one of my my flaws. So call call this selfish, but I but I think there will be quite a few people else who suffer from this the same sort of uh, ailment. How do you manage to keep yourself so focused? How do you get through these these tasks without distractions? Really good question. Um, I'm not surprised to hear those comments, actually. I have heard them by peers and supervisors over the course of, of, my, of my career. And I think that that actually maybe has helped me be that way. So maybe it's a little bit of a positive feedback loop in that I've had people feed that back to me in a positive way uh, early on in my career. And it's helped me lean into to that perspective and, and, and being that way. I think that truthfully, some of this is personality trait. Um, there are different types of people, uh, different flavors, and, and they all work in the right context. But I certainly think that there's some of it that's innate or uh, taught early on. I think that my mother's quite like this. And so I, I take after her a little bit in that way. But I think that it really works in certain industries that require a fast pace. And student housing is one of those fast paced businesses. So I've seen success in, in, in being this way, and it's reinforced me developing techniques to be even better at that over the course of time, because I don't think that the innate qualities are the end-all be-all of things like this. I think that you can learn to be efficient. And I, 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 I think it's extremely important to ensure that whether you're on site in student housing or any type of operational real estate out in the field or at the corporate office where you're driving the strategies, Decisions need to be made efficiently and quickly. The work product has to get done. So maybe it's worth separating the two things that I don't always um, get big, chunky work products done without some procrastination. I'm, I'm still human, right? But I think that decision-making around how you spend your time, what you spend it on, how quickly you make decisions are really important to people, whether you're out in the field executing a business plan or if you're in the head office devising the, the business plan, um, indecision will really kill a business. And that's true in most businesses, but certainly in operationally focused real estate where thousands of things fly at you on a weekly basis. If you get bogged down under that crush, uh, you will likely not succeed in what you're setting out to do. So you've got to move that aside. So I've always been focused on read and digest the information that's coming, delegate decision-making if that's the appropriate thing to do and ensure that your team understand that's the expectation, but try not to get bogged down under the crush of the information that's coming such that you're in a position to spend more dedicated time on those chunkier work products or 
chunkier strategic decision-making work streams that you need to dedicate more time to and can afford a little procrastination to let you have headspace to truly and properly consider the right direction. But if you let the tactical things that flow your way uh, consume you, I think that that's a recipe for disaster. So the way I've articulated this in how I approach things and how I have tried to help my teams approach things are always think about your day in components, try to your week in the same way, your month and your, 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 your year, spend every segment of every day working on some things that are tactical to ensure that you're not getting behind in what you have to do and spend some time on strategy and strategic thinking or initiatives that you have to, to work on as an executor of the strategy that underlie those, those business plans. If you get caught in, in a death loop of doing all of either of those things, I don't think you'll be as successful and I wouldn't have been. So I think that's, that's how, that's how I've, I've been able to do that is, is focus on doing the nuts and bolts while also doing some of the strategy at the same time in the same day, in the same week. Okay. Well, Matt, time is getting the best of us. I'm going to have to start to wrap up. But the way I want to end this is, once more, we've got another um, uh, question in from our, um, from our audience. So let me, let me play this back to you now. Hi, my name's Callum. Uh, I would like to ask your guest, how do you create balance in your life? Yeah, important question, isn't it? Um, and one, I have to admit that I have not answered very well for myself uh, at times over my career, but I think that I've done a very good job in learning uh, over the course of time and how, how to do that. So I'll admit fully, when I was uh, early on in my career, I didn't do a very good job of this, uh, and it definitely had some downside impacts on my, my life. I've learned that you need to let your work at work speak for itself. Uh, if you're confident in what you're doing, it's good enough, right? I think those of us that, that might have high expectations of ourselves always question whether or not we're doing enough, but it is enough. And you need to just work on accepting that. And this is a, this is a, a personal growth thing, right? You have to accept that what you've done at work is enough. And when you turn off, turn off. I've had to create clear lines of, of, of methods of shut off, right? I have notifications of my email turned off on my phone, for instance. If I need to check, I'll go check. Otherwise, I don't want that little red dot or that chime coming into my life when I'm done for the day or done for the weekend. So little things like that, different, different strokes for different folks. There's all sorts of different tricks that you can read about online. But I think that it's a, a coupling of being okay with being offline, and that's a psychological thing you have to learn, and then create some practical tricks around your electronic and work life to, to make that happen for yourself. Well, Matt, thank you very much for, for your time on this. Thank you very much for sharing that. Those are sort of personal um, uh, tips as well. Unfortunately, we just run out of time, mate. So um, thank you for joining us. Our audience will no doubt have really benefited from all this. Absolutely, very pleased to be here. Thanks for having me on.